elephant out of the room and say that my sound is different, obviously. If you've been listening for a long time, this is not your first episode, you will notice that the sound of this podcast sounds different. And that is because I've recently moved. I'm still in the process of getting my podcast space up and running and how, you know, how I would like it to the the uh, the level of professionalism that you babes are used to. I will get it up and running and it'll be great, but I did want to get this episode out because if you've been listening in real time, you'll know that I've been away for a little bit, so it's going to be good to get this out. Again, the space isn't fully set up, but I think the sound is good enough that we can power through <laughs> power through any echo or background noise for now. So thank you for bearing with me while I work on my sound. So let's recap what we last talked about. We talked about sun signs and not just sun signs in the very basic usual way. I didn't want to do that. We talked about sun signs as ego identity. The sun is the core of who we are in astrology. And I really wanted to kind of hammer that point home. And to do that, we're going to now talk about the sun in each of the houses. So last episode, we went over what the sun represents in astrology in general, your ego identity, the core of you and who you are. It's just who you are and how kind of everything filters and processes through you. And now we're going to take the sun and take it through each of the houses. And just because I'm feeling extra and because it has been a little bit since, you know, I did an episode, I've been busy, but I want to give you guys something cool and something I've been thinking about for a while. So along with going through all of the houses, I'm also going to overlay the 12 Jungian archetypes over the houses. And maybe that'll make a little more sense once we get into it, but there are 12 houses and there are 12 Jungian archetypes. And I sat and I thought about it and I was analyzing them. And I really do think that they can fit. I think they can work. If you don't agree with them, that's okay. If Jungian stuff isn't your thing, just kind of ignore it or think of it as something fun. But I do think it's a good thought exercise to get you thinking. Thought exercise to get you thinking. How about that? (laughs) But it's a good way to get you thinking deeper about your soul identity, your ego identity, who you are, and just the type of person you are at your core. So with that said, you guys know that I am a Hellenistic astrologer. I tend to have a very Hellenistic bent to me, and that's going to be no different here. I will bring in some of the Hellenistic uh, joy, the concept of joy. So I'm going to bring that concept in and talk about it a little bit as we go through the houses. If you aren't super familiar with the houses, I recommend going back and maybe listening to the house episodes in general, just to kind of get a gist of what they are and what's doing with them. But let's just jump in. We're going to start with the first house. So the sun in the first house and the Jungian archetype for this is the explorer. So the sun in the first house seems special for some reason. Having the sun here is literally the illumination of the self, the persona, the essence of the person's spirit. I've always said that people who have the same sun and rising are very much the what you see is what you get kind of people. Because if our sun is our core and the rising is our persona, that basically means that these people wear their core being as their persona. If you remember from the house series, this is called the helm in Hellenistic astrology. The sun in the house of the helm is like the sun is steering the ship. It's like having an illuminating light with you at all times as you aspire towards your rising sign's highest qualities. 
I've said before that the rising is sort of what we try to rise up towards or ideals that we try to achieve and reach for in life. So having the sun in this house will make the person like a beam of light, which has both good and bad to it. It's good in the sense that these people are likely to be secure in who they are, but they also might tend to project their ego a bit. The sun does represent our ego. So having that so tightly enmeshed with the persona can make someone come off as arrogant or overly confident. I mean, and which maybe they are, which maybe they aren't. Either way, they're going to be secure in who they are. And again, that can pose problems and it can also be a really great positive in their life and if they can learn to harness it properly. Overall, the sun is comfortable in the house of the self. It gives the holder a lot of energy to assert themselves into the world. And since this house also has to do with our physical body, they may be someone who is very physically active, is very conscious of their body, or they just have a bright and sunny disposition. These people light up a room. Now let's dive into the Jungian archetype for this house. The first house lines up perfectly with the explorer archetype. This house is all about asserting yourself in the world and finding your identity, which is exactly what the explorer is all about. This archetype very much embodies the hero's journey, where we set off on a path and we're thrown into various tasks and upheavals that end up transforming us into the person we're meant to be. And since I like to think of our rising as something we aspire towards, you can take your rising sign and kind of look at what type of hero's journey you're on. For us Libra Risings, that means we're striving for harmony and the reconciliation of the other. We're learning our place in the world while balancing it with those around us. The middle way, the middle path is likely our best bet. Another example that I can use, so I'm not just doing Libra, another example is uh, Leo Rising. This is the hero's journey of self-acceptance and love. It's learning to rise up towards your highest expression of self without hubris or false bravado and loving everything that you truly are. It's about using your ability to illuminate for good rather than self-serving endeavors. So for the Leo rising babes, think about it. You do light up a room. You know you have this charisma and you can use it to... Be self-serving. You know, people say Leo Risings and Leos in general are conceited and self-absorbed, but I don't think that's necessarily always the case. I just think they know their worth. And that's something that a Leo Rising is definitely aspiring towards, which is knowing their worth. A good exercise for the first house just in general and your rising sign would be to think about what your rising sign is and what it's asking of you on your hero's journey. And if you want to get really into it, then I would look at any aspects that are being made to your rising sign, and that'll kind of give you some even more clues about your hero's journey. So that could be fun. If you do it, let me know. Talk to me about it. It could be cool. Moving on to the second house. The sun in the second house indicates an illumination of the physical world. This house comes directly after we've burst into the world and we're getting our physical bearings. The sun will be putting emphasis on our resources. And remember, that includes mental and emotional resources as well. Even time. Time is a very valuable resource. And I think that's one we forget about. Because obviously money is a resource. And that's one that everybody 
attributes to the second house. And that's not wrong. Money is a resource. We live in a world where money is important. But time is even more important, in my opinion. (laughs) Time is money. Money is time. That's the whole thing, right? So time, very valuable resource. Don't forget to attribute that to the second house as well. The person's ego is going to be tied up in their physical security and resources. Food will also be big here because food is absolutely a resource and something we use to sustain life. The sun being here is interesting because the sun itself is what sustains all life here on earth. So people with this placement might feel a deep-seated need to provide for themselves and those they care about. They sustain their life and the life of others, which can be a really heavy weight to bear sometimes. The ego is literally tied up in their sense of worldly physical security. And that doesn't make them greedy, although it can indicate that. It doesn't make them greedy outright. It just means that they need to be hard-rooted in the physical world to execute their inner truth. We live in a physical world, so there's nothing wrong with indulging in the physical world. I don't want the second house to get that bad rap. I don't want people to think about the second house as, oh, it's just greed and money and blah, blah, blah. No, if you have the sun there, you're almost like a builder. I imagine someone like shaping mountains, shaping mountains and moving the earth. You are someone who is deeply rooted in the physical and you're just trying to mold clay. I don't know if that makes sense. I think if you have the sun in the second, it will make sense, but you're definitely living in a physical world and it's okay to indulge in it because that's where your soul, that's where your ego identity is found. Now, the Jungian archetype I have for this house might seem a little strange at first, but hear me out. Just hear me out on it. The archetype I put in the second house is the innocent. The innocent has a strong urge to feel safe in this world. And that's what the second house is all about. It's about building resources and creating a world that we can feel safe in. Your knee-jerk reaction may be to think that the second house can't be innocent because money's involved and that's capitalism and capitalism is bad, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not here to argue about socioeconomics or anything like that, but I am here to say that wanting security and to feel safe in this world is not bad. Every human deserves a safe space to explore their innocent archetype, to create a world where We can all have enough resources, especially people with the sun in the second, to create a world where they can have enough resources to feel comforted and ultimately content with what they have. It's not about having excess, being greedy, or living in a scarcity mindset. It's about knowing what you actually need and not becoming fearful of the world around you. The innocent can really rather easily become fearful if they are not comforted. So it's knowing that you can lean on other people and other people can lean on you, sharing is caring type deal. The innocent can teach us how to connect with the physical world and our resources in a more sustainable way. One where we don't need to live in excess and we can trust that we're being held by the world when we choose to do the right thing. I feel like there's also a little bit of stoicism here, which surprise, you know, I'm weaving stoicism into things. The stoicism comes in where when we act in accordance with nature, nothing goes against us. We may not always get what we want, but a healthy, innocent archetype understands the difference between wants and needs and knows that peace and harmony are more valuable resources than money and material goods. Now let's move on to the third house. I've given this house the moniker of the 
ritual and habitual. It's the things we do regularly and with repeat frequency. This house also has a little bit of a magic side to it because it deals with dreams. And when I say ritual, I don't mean just like casual things we do as rituals. I mean legit spiritual practices that have some sort of ritualistic feel to them or prayer. Even prayer can be here. Dreams, prayer, meditation, something you do with ritual frequency. Someone with the sun in this house is going to be tied tightly to their rituals and habituals. (laughs) As someone with the sun in the third house, I can say this is very true for me personally. My ego definitely resides in the things I do habitually, like release a podcast or have a workout routine. I feel like my soul is most in line when I'm practicing some sort of routine communication with others as well, because communication is huge for this house. Someone with the sun here needs to be able to express ideas and all in all, just muse about life. The thoughts and ideas don't always need to turn into something concrete. In fact, it's mostly about the process of communication itself that lights these people's inner world up. If you talk to anyone that knows me, anyone that has dated me, and my, even my dad, my dad's a great example of this. He always said, my mouth runs like a duck's ass. He, he was always saying, I talk, talk, talk. I never shut up. I love talking. Again, it's probably why I have a podcast because it's like I'm talking to thousands of people and it's so fun and I love it. I love communicating ideas. Speech, intelligence, and conveying ideas on a routine basis will all be very important to keeping the light of the sun bright and happy in this house. Dreams will also be important for these people. Dreams are actually going to be a direct representation of the people's ego or ego identity. So if you have the sun in the third house, definitely pay close attention to your dreamscape and all that it has to offer. And also don't be afraid to dabble in divination. People with the sun in the third have a knack for divination. As the sun illuminates their tendency to let their workings express in a divine way. But I will say, this is a caveat here, that consistency is key. The more these people routinely stay connected to their inner world, the stronger the light is going to shine. And just using myself as an example, I know when I'm on my grind, when I'm meditating like I should be, when I'm working out like I should be, when I'm releasing episodes like I should be, when I am going and uh, using my tarot decks with more frequency, it gets stronger for me. It gets better for me. The more I turn that wheel each day, the stronger the light within shines and the divinations get better and just everything in general gets better. And that's kind of for everybody, I think, in a sense, you know, practice makes perfect. But for third house sun people, it's very important. It's almost like When you do the ritual every day, it's like going in and lighting the candle, going in and turning the light on, basically turning the sun on every day. Overall, consistency is key for people with the sun in this house. The Jungian archetype for the third house is the jester or trickster archetype. The reason being is that I tend to see people with heavy third house placements saying things that no one else is going to say. They're a little more bold in their communication, just like the court jester would be. They live in the mental world, so they're typically witty and always thinking or scheming like a trickster would. The trickster becomes its shadow self when there's no consistency and when there's no routine involved and it's left to its own devices. Just like I said, third house people thrive on routine, so too does the healthy expression of the trickster. 
Having a solid outlet for all those thoughts and unique perspectives will keep the trickster operating at its highest good. Being able to think outside the box and connect with others is a third house person's ideal lifestyle. They don't want to be confined to the ideas of others. They want to create their own ideas and spread them. And if they can't do that, then they're just going to create chaos in the meantime to get them through. The fourth house. The fourth house is the subterranean. It's the lowest point in the chart. It's a very hidden house. Having the sun here is interesting because the sun is, well, it's the sun. We don't typically think of it as a placement that's hidden away. But when it's in the fourth house, that's kind of what happens. The ego or the soul of someone who has the sun in the fourth house is going to be a little more secretive. The light may not be as outwardly bright as they guard it carefully, and they only show their true illumination when in the safety and comfort of those they trust. And I mean that on a deep, deep level. Like these people only show the core of their being to a few select people. It's likely that childhood, family, and the holder's upbringing was critical in forming their ego identity. There was a big impact made by those formative years, more so than we typically see, because the fourth house impacts us all pretty pretty deeply. It is our baseline. It's our anchor in life. But for people with the sun in the fourth house, that's really the formation of your soul. Those early years, that upbringing really impacted who you are at your core. Maybe the person's whole sense of identity is tied up in family lineage or heritage. They feel very strongly about ancestors or family lines in some way. And if they don't know where they come from in that sort of way, it may be their life mission to figure it out and understand that part of themselves because they may feel like, I don't know who I am. I don't understand my ego. I don't understand how to assert myself in the world because I don't know where I come from. For some people, that is very, very important. And it's likely important for people with the sun in the fourth. I've aligned the fourth house with the Jungian archetype of the caregiver for one main reason. The fourth house is where we form our emotional baseline in life. So this house is really setting the tone for the type of caregivers we'll be and also the type of care we receive as we're developing. When analyzing this house through a Jungian lens, I want you to think of the love languages as an exercise because ultimately this house helps to really form what love languages we gravitate towards and which ones we give out to show love and to care for others. What is it? that you do to make others feel taken care of and seen? How do you exert emotional well-being into the world? What kind of caregiver are you? The fifth house. The sun in the fifth house is like having your creative force on overdrive. These people are sensual and their souls are tied directly to their creativity and passions. Sex will also likely be an important outlet for them as it's another way for these people to connect with the deepest parts of themselves and to share pure ecstasy with another being. This house is all about pleasure and fun and games. Souls of the fifth house are truly some of the most passionate people you will ever find. Everything in life can be romanticized and it likely will be romanticized, which having the sun placed where Venus has her joy, that shouldn't really come as a surprise. The sun in the fifth house is basically like the crystal chandelier in the palace of Venus. It's decadent, it's over the top, it's beautiful, it's mesmerizing, and it lights up the place while everyone gathers around to share a wonderful evening together. 
art, music, creativity, and problem solving will be important for the ego to function at its best in the fifth house. Without these outlets, the ego can become brooding and moody. Whatever the chosen passion may be for these people, it's going to feel like part of their identity, like truly their identity. If they don't actively cultivate that passion, then it can feel like part of themselves is just wasting away. The last thing I want to mention about the fifth house and having the sun there is childlike wonder. Now, the fifth house does have to do with children, but I'm not going to say that having the sun there means actual children. Having the sun there and thinking about it as ego identity means that you explore the world with childlike wonder and you should never lose that part of yourself. Never become too jaded against the world. That's just, it's not good for these people's souls to become jaded. They always need to look kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at the world and just go for it. It makes me think of in tarot, the sun card, because there's that little baby, that little baby man (laughs) sitting on that horse. And it's just like, everything is good. Everything is good. And I'm not saying that these people are going to be the eternal optimist or they have to be the most, like the happiest person in the room all the time. But I think deep in their souls, them having that deep, deep, deep sense of childlike wonder and wonderlust and just wanting to explore in a very innocent and beautiful way, in a very optimistic and just looking at the world like an adventure. That's what the the sun in the fifth house is really about. So think of the tarot card, the sun with that little baby on the horse. That is what having the sun in the fifth house is like. I think you could have guessed the Jungian archetype for this house would be none other than the artist. Now, the main goal of the artist archetype is to make something beautiful and share it with the world, plain and simple. This is why I love that Venus has her joy in the fifth house, because she truly is about sharing and bringing people together. She has a certain flow and harmony that just makes it really easy to share with others. The artist needs to create and share because otherwise their message won't be heard. They want to bear their souls in a way that makes the world a more beautiful place. The gift they give to the world is beauty, truth, love, harmony. It's all very Moulin Rouge, Bohemian, Venusian ideals, but it's beautiful because the world needs that. This archetype can feel stuck when they aren't able to express their truths and art into the world. The ego becomes stifled and stagnant, and it creates just this really moody and brooding person. We all know that artsy person that just sort of broods because they feel like no one understands their vision or their art. That's kind of what happens when the artist archetype isn't taken seriously, or they feel like no one is appreciating what they're exerting into the world. So it's not enough for these people to just create. They also need to share. Because again, Venus has her joy here. Venus is all about bringing people together. She has a very flowy, loving energy. So people with the sun in the fifth, you need to create you need to muse, you need to do something, whatever, whatever it is for you, you need to explore with childlike wonder, but you also need to remember to share it with others. The sixth house. The sun in the sixth house is where Mars has its joy. So right off the bat, we know the ego is going to be fiery and just have a lot of oomph to it. People with the sun in the sixth house will likely have their ego tied to things like health, wellness, work, or service to others. And that's a really big one here, service to others. 
I typically see the sixth house as the thing we're in service to or things that need servicing, whether that be our own bodies or running a company for someone else. Mars is going to take the energy and illumination of the sun and put it to work. These people may have physically demanding jobs or they devote their lives to a cause that fuels them. Despite it being a place where a malefic planet has its joy, this house can bring about goodness through the act of servitude. The ego may be tied to serving others, either by choice or circumstance. Either way, doing a good job is important to these people. Leaving no stone unturned and being able to say they gave everything they had to their job, their cause, or their endeavor will be crucial to their existence. These are kind of the the no days off people. These are the people that really go all in. I'm not going to say a workaholic, but they definitely want to do a good job at what they do. When the ego, the sun, is in this house, we often see people tending to the children of others. And by children, I don't mean actual babies. I mean anything that can be someone's baby, a business, a passion, a project, scientific research, collaborative efforts, project managing, anything that someone else is technically the rightful owner of, but you somehow find yourself as the one doing most of the work for, that's what I mean by the ego tending to the children of others. It would be like if I all of a sudden hired somebody for Moon Matters to do stuff for me. If I hired you know, like an executive assistant or something like that, and they worked for me and did all of my, my editing and things like that, that would be someone who's kind of taking care of my baby. And I'm going to tell you what, nobody's taking care of my baby because I don't have any placements in the sixth house. I take care of my own babies. <laughs> but anyway, yes, that would be an example. You, you get handed the, the keys to someone else's, again, research, business, passion project, anything like that, and you end up taking care of it for them. You are in service to them. Health and wellness also play a role in these people's ego identity if they have their son in the sixth house. Even if they struggle with their overall health, it is something that they take seriously and it's something that they have to think about. The archetype I've assigned to this house is very martial, so I hope our Lord and Savior Mars is happy with me about that. But it's the hero. The reason I put the hero archetype for these sixth house souls is because they can often have hero complexes. I just got done saying how they end up taking care of things for other people and how they need to be in service to someone or something in order to feel fulfilled, which that's great. Those acts of service are actually a love language for people. But these sixth house people often end up getting taken advantage of because they're so willing to help and swoop in and save the day. The hero archetype people need to remember that not everyone deserves their time or effort. Sometimes you need to invest that energy back into yourself because much like a hero, your body takes a beating from stress and just running yourself ragged from helping everyone else. Make sure you take time to rest and take care of yourself physically because it can and it will catch up to you. My advice for people with their ego identity in this house is to have strong boundaries Mars is absolutely going to take your desire to work and help others and just run with it. Don't let yourself become the overworked hero. You can't help anybody if you aren't helping yourself. I also see a lot of healthcare workers with their son in the sixth house, which makes total sense because the hero complex and wanting to help people so much, whether it's a dentist office or they work in a literal hospital, 
and even teachers to an extent, because teachers are in service to society and children. So teachers, healthcare workers, things like that. I see a lot of that in the sixth house. And of course, we all know those are people that are run ragged every single day. So be nice to them and also, you know, bring them a coffee and tell them to take a nap. Well, my babes, that is the first six houses and what our ego identity is like in each of them. I hope you enjoyed the little Jungian twist I threw in there. It's really just another tool to get you thinking. And I think it's an interesting lens to view yourself through, even if you aren't Jungian yourself, (laughs) even if you don't really care about Jungian stuff. I think it's just another layer that we can look at and explore the joys and the houses and what the sun is like in them. If you want more moon content before the next episode, go find me on Instagram at moonmatters.astro. I'll see all you babes later.